Good evening, world, and welcome back to Haunting Season. This month, I am reading my short story, Paul's Rose, which was published in this anthology, Death Awaits, A Scarlet Nightmare. It also has other stories from my ghost hunting friends from back when I used to do that. They're still good friends. And uh, it's available on Amazon if you ever want to pick it up, Death Awaits. But since this was the first time I was published, and since it's separate from haunting season i haven't shared the story yet and so i thought it'd be nice with the holiday season to sit back with a cup of coffee read you a story kind of christmas style um and uh yeah it's been going well so again this is part two part one was last week if you missed it you're definitely going to want to listen to that first and for those of you who didn't miss it here's part two of paul's rose enjoy Paul woke up in bed. The room was empty. No candles, no Ouija, just the faint recollection of a painful dream. I watched him as he struggled to piece it all together, but his light from the sun began to fill the room. The memory gently faded until there was nothing left. From that moment on, things were different. Paul had slept through his routine that day, and the day after, and the day after that. He was in a funk. Something about that dream kept picking at him. Three days passed after the game, and I also began to wonder if it was a dream, or maybe it was some sort of shared consciousness that we had tapped into. But I knew better than that. I could feel the charge of the house around me. It was alive, and we were in its belly. The walls were swelling and contracting ever so slowly, as if it were breathing, or worse, trying to digest us. The old energy, the Andras, was more present than ever, filling every inch of the house with its noise. It had been here all along, but now it was awake. And it was that very thought that kept Paul and me from communicating during those three days. He knew I was there. He could feel me beside him, but he did not dare say a word until he was sure we were alone. On the fourth day, things began to happen around the house. In the morning, Paul tried to force himself back into his routine. Heading towards the front porch, he tripped while carrying his coffee. It burned him as it splashed into his hands, which caused him to drop his favorite mug, one with the goofy smile that I'd stolen from Red Arrow Diner in Manchester. We had gone there for breakfast so many times, he was always joking about the mugs. No one could ever have a bad day with a mug like this. Look at it. I never wanted Paul to have a bad day. So one December, when he excused himself to the restroom, I slipped one into my purse and wrapped it for him to open on Christmas. He never used another mug again. But today was not going to be a good day. I watched as his perfect mug shattered on the kitchen floor, as he stepped forward to regain his balance, and as he slipped on the steaming liquid beneath his naked feet. Falling to the tile below, his elbow smacked the floor first, hard, as his foot shot forward to the cabinets. 
Paul's heel slid into the biggest piece of jagged porcelain with the once goofy but now menacing face printed on its outer curve. Pinned against the wall, the grimacing shard pushed deep into Paul's thick calloused heel, releasing boiling blood from his throbbing foot. I watched the whole event unfold, unable to do a thing. There had been nothing there for him to trip on, except the shadow of an angel's wing. Andras. Paul limped up the stairs, using the banister to keep his weight off his bandaged foot. He had finished his coffee at the kitchen table and skipped the cigarette. I tried to remain positive. Maybe he'd unleashed a special anti-smoking spirit, and this was all an elaborate plan to save his lungs. The idea cheered me up for a moment, but just the same, I reprimanded myself for the thought. I dared not even think his name. Andras. Too late. Just then, the banister wobbled as one of the spokes kicked out, striking Paul in the ankle. He lost his balance and landed with all of his weight on his injured heel, a step below. Luckily, his grip was strong and Paul narrowly avoided falling backwards down the stairs. I had to take control of the situation. I had to speak to Paul. I rushed ahead of him to his office, where I found his computer already on. The past few days of rest had allowed me to save up enough energy to send a nice, clear message to Paul. So I worked up my divine focus and tuned it towards the keyboard. When Paul finally reached the office, hobbling on one foot, he made his way to the computer where he read my message. Call Patty S. 6. Patty was devastated by Paul's condition when he opened the door to greet her. Good lord! Look what happened! She warbled, her deep southern accent complimenting the sympathy pouring from her big green eyes. I tried to welcome her inside, but she was not listening. Her guard was up, for good reason. There was no getting into her brain. She built up a mental wall, something I imagined to be very difficult to achieve. Paul invited her to sit on the couch, just as before, and facing her from the adjacent leather chair, he tried to explain what happened. It was difficult to remember at first, but once he got started, the details came back about the game. You need a priest, the psychic stated dryly. What you have is a demon, and I can't help you. You have to do something, please, Paul begged. I can't handle this on my own. You're not alone, she reminded him. You have Rose. Just talk to it. See if you can get it to go away. I can't do that, Paul. It's too dangerous. I know it's dangerous, Paul continued, obviously frustrated. Look at me. Patty looked to Paul with sympathy, but remained firm. She would not be swayed to let her guard down. I didn't tell you to use the board. You told me to communicate, Paul snapped back at her. I told you to speak to Rose, not to conjure up dangerous spirits. You didn't warn me. It's your responsibility to guide people. It's not my responsibility to clean up other people's mistakes that they make when I'm not around. This is bullshit, Paul barked, slamming his fist against the arm of the leather chair. The static was growing thick in the room. You come into my house and stir things up. You invited me here. Tell me to contact the dead. Paul! And then leave me to suffer the consequences? No, I don't think so. You're no psychic. You're a witch. A filthy scam artist. What's next? You wait for me to die and then take my house? I'll tell you it's worthless, honey. No pot of gold at the end of this rainbow, bitch. Patty said nothing. 
She just stared past Paul with fear, completely removed from his last statement. I think we saw it at the same time, because Patty and I seemed to mirror a realization in each other. The lamp next to Patty was casting a shadow of Paul on the wall behind him, and as his frustration grew, so did the shadow. With every negative word, the darkness began to change, to grow, until eventually it looked as if Paul were sprouting wings. Patty, realizing the severity of the situation, attempted to calm Paul down. Paul, I'm, I'm sorry. You should be. You destroyed my home. Destroyed my marriage. Paul began to cry. The shadow wings stretched as if soaking in the power from his sadness. Patty leaned into him. There is still hope. This isn't over. Paul shook his head, holding his ears, the wings curving as if to embrace them both. No, 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 no. Yes, Paul, we can fight this. No, 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 no. Patty wasn't getting through. Her words were being blocked out, not only by Paul's hands, but by his negativity. Instinctually, she tried to open a mental passageway to Paul's mind, to speak to him, to soothe him. This was exactly what the beast wanted. The shadow behind them stood up, as if this whole time it had been crouching behind the large leather chair. Its owlish head was close to reaching the ten-foot ceiling of our living room while its wings seemed to curve inward still, and with Patty's guard down, the tips of the wings filtered into a single stream of blackness, and like trickling sand, that stream filtered into the psychic's ears. She began to speak out loud, in a voice that was no longer hers. You worthless, pathetic little man. Can't deal with a little death? Can't handle it, hmm? Don't want to be a part of normal life like everyone else? I bet you're afraid. You're afraid of dying yourself. Well, I can show you something worse than death. I'll make you big for it. I'll wear your skin as a suit. I'll dance in your body before Satan himself. I'll stretch you like a baseball glove, Polly struck a bad chord with Paul, because he shrieked at her, yelling in a way I didn't know he could. Don't call me that! Never call me that, devil! I'll make you beg for death, Polly, and I'll never give it to you. Never, Polly. Never. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! The thing was only beginning to enter her brain, but it was already too painful to bear. I searched the room, not sure what I was looking for, something to stop this horrible event. Patty had let her guard down, and if I wasn't able to do something fast, we'd lose her forever, and most likely Paul in the process. The psychic reached into her purse, searching for something. Paul watched her, upset and completely lost as she spoke quietly to herself. You remember your sister Alice? She cut herself the day she died. Cut, cut, cut. Cut her skinny little wrist. Cut, cut, cut. With a... Now where the hell did I... She pulled a sharp metal nail file from her bag. Ooh, with one of these. Come here, Polly. And with that, Patty lunged forward, stabbing the nail file into the top of Paul's left wrist, squirting blood high into the air like a micro-geyser. She squealed and giggled with excitement, clapping her hands together and bouncing her bottom on the couch like a Saturday morning cartoon bandit. Furious, I lashed out with a massive burst of energy that knocked over the lamp and sending it smashing to the floor. There was a loud pop and a spark of fire, followed by a tinkling of very thin glass falling to the carpet like icicles. Paul was startled and jumped to his feet, 
only to immediately collapse from the pain into Patty's arms. The shadow disappeared into the darkness, and there were gusts of wind in the room like massive flapping wings. Patty and Paul held each other, the trance broken, bracing themselves for what might happen next. But before anything could, I took what was left of my energy and struck on every light in the house at once. For a brief moment, the shadow of the demon was there, nearly taking up the entire room, clinging like a cornered spider to the ceiling. And then as quickly as our eyes saw it, the shadow exploded out in all directions. It was gone, for now. I watched as Patty struggled to get Paul back into the chair, and without even a momentary glance or even a single word, she showed herself the door. Eight. Father Targus tried to keep it together as he spoke to Paul about the house, but I could see straight through him. He was terrified, sitting on the couch, and was using every ounce of his energy to keep the teacup he was holding from exposing his secret. After he was brought up to speed, Father Targus asked Paul how many letters were in the name of the thing. He took out a piece of paper, blessed it with holy water, and scribbled seven sevens with spaces between them. He instructed Paul to write down the letters of the demon's name between the numbers. 7A, 7N, 7D, 7R, 7A, 7S, 7. Oh, this is bad. This is very bad, the priest mumbled as the paper began to mist between them as if being branded by the evil name. This is not just a demonic spirit we are dealing with, he continued but a great marquee of hell. This is a very powerful demon known for sowing discord among those who interact with it. It will do anything and everything to rip you from the ones you love and destroy your life. Paul's eyes searched the room, knowing he could not possibly see me, but he checked anyway before asking, What if my loved one is dead? Father Targus leaned towards Paul, placing his tea on the table, and he whispered with despondency, It doesn't matter. This is a creature that reaches through all realms. It likely lay dormant here for thousands of years, waiting for an awakening. You're lucky you weren't killed. This demon is known for killing its conjurers. I didn't conjure it, Paul insisted. It tricked me. I, I thought it was Rose. You conjured it up just the same with your black magic board. It waited for you and you called it out by name. You're lucky it didn't lure you out of the circle of candles. Now it can't kill you. What are you saying? Paul demanded. The priest's eyes seemed to be glowing strangely. Had it lured you out of your protective circle could have struck you down with ease and dragged your pathetic soul to hell. You're lucky you survived. The demon broke its own rules by knocking you out of the circle itself. I call it God's will, but I have reason to believe it's idiot's luck. Paul was taken aback by Father Targus's sudden lack of sympathy. He had no words to call upon in response and sat with his jaw open. The priest continued, still leaning forward but speaking more freely than before. He looked at Paul through the tops of his eyes. You best pray for forgiveness, son, because the world is coming down on you in a hard way, and there's no recovering from making deals with the devil, you pig fuck! 
Spit flew in punctuation of the priest's final word, leaving him breathing heavily through his flared nostrils like a bull before the rodeo. And that is when I saw it, the dark cloud above his head. Andras was above him, sowing discord between Paul and the priest. I could not let this go on, for fear of things getting violent. Paul was calm at heart, but like any man, he had a limit to his tolerance. I could see his tolerance wearing very thin. What do you have to say for yourself, sinner? The priest snarled. You give up? Selling your soul to the devil? For what, Paul? So you can fuck your dead wife one last time? I had to be careful or I would be pulled in as well. As I focused my energy, Paul rose to his feet, furiously towering over Father Targus, oblivious to the shooting pain in his ripped heel. Don't you mutter another word about my wife. You call yourself a man of God, but you're a sinner as much as I am. Rose the whore shall misbehave, pleasuring men from beyond the grave. The priest sang in a voice too deep for his own, and that was it. Before I could regain focus, before I could do anything at all, Paul lunged across the coffee table. He smashed the teacup with his knee, and he tackled and began to strangle Father Targus. And that was the moment Andras lifted the cloud. Nine. Paul grew dark. In the days following the priest's visit, a heavy cloud came over the whole house. It was a slow, flawless transition, and Paul was oblivious to the change. But I saw everything. He started to drink at night. A few glasses of wine, then a few glasses of scotch. The more time that passed, the harder it was for him to be productive at all. The morning routine drifted from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. Coffee and a cigarette on the porch became coffee with a splash of scotch and chain-smoking in the house. At first, I tried to make it apparent that I didn't approve. I would flick the cigarettes out of his mouth or knock over an ashtray. I even tried hiding the cigarettes while he was in the restroom, but these things just made him angry. He would yell out to me, saying hurtful things, blaming me for his condition. Do you see me, Rose? He would bellow boozily around the house, still limping on his gimp foot. You see what you've done? I thought you loved me, but you left me. You left me like this. Some days he would blame me for giving up. Oh no, don't give me any medicine, doctor. I'd rather let the cancer take me away from my awful husband, whose only crime in life was loving me too much. Well, I'm sorry that I smothered you, Rose. I'm sorry I bored you to death with my life's work, with being successful. I'm sorry I didn't play with colors all day like a true artist. He would go on and on, rambling out loud like a maniac. As time passed, his comments only grew more hateful. One thing he said was true, and I knew it. He did love me. More than anything in the world. My undying love for Paul helped me cope with his dark thoughts. We all have them, whether they be conscious or eerily present. They sit in the inky corners of our minds like a roach, twitching, growing, and feeding off the darkness. We keep them to ourselves, embarrassed by their existence, hoping they will dissipate. We hide them, knowing that in this life, saying one wrong thing could devastate a person beyond repair. I knew it wasn't Paul that spoke this way, but that his filter had been broken. The old energy was darkening his mind and giving the roach open space to wander and play. I could not let myself be manipulated by the demon. 
I had to keep my distance and devise a way to save my husband. So I stayed away and refrained from interaction. Instead, I focused on gathering my energy for the right time. 10. Paul grew thin. Alcohol and tobacco became his only source of sustenance, aside from an occasional cold cut of processed turkey. The cut on his heel became badly infected, keeping him constrained to the lower half of the house while upstairs, Andras manifested itself and walked freely. He was killing Paul. Slowly but surely, the beast was taking my husband's life out of spite for avoiding his deadly grasp the night of the game. The rules of hell forbid him to strike Paul down at will, but Andras had full reign of the energy surrounding this house. To me, it seemed a little too vindictive for an all-powerful being. It seemed almost human. I began to wonder if Paul's life was the key to something, something that I was not understanding. A piece was missing, and I lost days wondering what it was. Maybe killing Paul would allow the thing to go back into hibernation, but that doesn't seem like a productive option. Maybe he needed a sacrifice to please the master of hell. But again, that seemed almost too goofy to be true. We were not living in some sort of film. This was real life. In life, things just happen and sometimes never end up having an explanation. Maybe that was it. The thing wanted Paul dead because it did period. I spent weeks storing energy, and I was not sure how much longer I could handle thinking about Paul's death. It made me sick. Even if it would mean us being together as spirits, I would rather have him alive and be able to enjoy the rest of his life than to have to endure the purgatory I was suffering. Purgatory? That's what this was. That word sparked a new thought pattern, not just for me, but for Andras. I had to be ready to leave in order to see my path. I had to finish my business on earth just as the demon needed to finish his business before... I stopped myself. Could it be true? Could Paul be the one thing standing between Andras and the rest of the world? And as if a blue pillar of guidance were rising from the ground, my path was clear. It was my time to pass on. 11. Paul became still. His malnutrition was worsening his infection, and his body was making its final efforts. If Paul could not wake up, then Paul could not poison his body, and it could begin to battle the infection. Our bodies are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. As I observed Paul's condition, I thought about my own body. I missed it. I had treated it fairly well. That wasn't too bad to look at for most of my life. I wouldn't say I was stunning, but I, I knew I was beautiful. Paul told me every day. But I didn't care about that. Mostly I just missed the heaviness of it. The weight that lets you know you're real. I stayed there watching over Paul and conserving energy. I knew that I would need every ounce of it to take down the beast. But I wanted so badly to kiss my husband one last time. In sleep... Paul looked like himself for the first time in months, and in my mind all was forgiven. I couldn't help myself. When I was alive, there was not a single time we left the house without saying goodbye. How was I supposed to leave forever without even a kiss to send me off? I came in close to him, ready to sacrifice as much energy as I needed to let Paul know that I loved him one last time. 
There is so much about the afterworld that I will never understand. No more than an inch separated us when I saw Paul's soul, illuminated as though a fire were raging inside him. Is this what I look like? I didn't kiss Paul. I didn't expel any saved energy because Paul saw me too. Being in a coma had awakened his spirit, making him aware of all that was happening around him. I can see you, he thought. Yes, I thought back. Upstairs, the beast stirred, sensing Paul's vulnerability. You're beautiful, just like always. He reached out and connected with me, causing love and power to surge into my consciousness. I love you, Paul. I love you endlessly, but I, I have to go. No, you just got here. No, Paul, you're dying. You're dying, and it's my fault. I know how to end this. You can't blame yourself for my decisions, Rose. Everything I did was for you. I know. You never left. You never left me. Even now, but I have to. I have to be the one to leave, or else the thing upstairs will come for you, and it'll be horrible. Andras flexed its power as it came pounding down the stairs. Ancient debris sitting in the deepest cracks of the staircase shook free with each powerful step. Please! Paul begged. I just want to be with you. I'm finally with you, and I just want to stay this way. I'm sorry. I'm doing this because I love you. It is my time. I know it is. There's not a doubt in my mind, Paul. Let me do this for you. Let me go. Andras was here, and in full form. Its feathery neck oscillated like a turret as it let out an awful sound from its ugly curved beak. Paul was not distracted. I saw him begin to change, to transform before my eyes, forming a face, his own face. The beast opened its wings wide, filling the room with dark feathers like a rolling storm cloud. The old energy was thick, filling the room to encapsulate us. Our love grew thick like a bamboo forest, slowly forming a barrier between us and the beast. My spirit must have created a face as well because before I knew what was happening, I was kissing my husband. An energy surged through me like never before, filling me with beautiful energy. In this moment, we shared a consciousness. I was closer to Paul than I ever thought possible. I was a part of him, and he was a part of me. As Andras devoured the room, Paul took me through time. In that second it took for the house to begin to shake, I lived again, completely. While the demon lifted all of the furniture in the room from the ground, I grew up. As it slammed things about, breaking everything we owned, I met Paul and fell in love. A love that could withstand all distractions. Decades passed, and when our lips parted, Paul agreed to what I needed to do. The building ached with the tremendous power of the demon. More ancient dust shook loose from the throbbing ceiling as my body manifested itself in the room. I looked just as I had before the cancer. I gawked at my hands as the beast swelled with power and let out another screeching call. The static was so thick that it was difficult to move, but it hadn't taken us yet. Go, Rose! Paul shouted. Go now! The beast lifted from the ground with a mighty flap of its wings and bolted for Paul's bed. He was vulnerable in his slumber. It would finally be able to finish him off. I love you, Paul, I called back. I always will. I cried, and I stepped in front of his bed, wrapped my arms around Andras as tightly as I could. 
and with a few silent words, sacrificing myself to the devil, pulled the beast straight back to hell. Thanks for listening to my story. That was super fun to read. I hadn't read it in a really long time. If you like what you hear, I would love a review or a thumbs up or a subscribe, depending on what platform you're on. Um, what's really helpful right now is iTunes reviews to help legitimize the podcast and get that out on its platform and write a little something about what you think of the show. Thanks for listening and happy holidays and see you next week. Haunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg, produced by Greg Holdsman, Jessica Richman, and executive produced by Matt Geelan, Patrick James Lynch, Ryan Geelan, and is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Geelan. This episode was hosted by me and written by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg. It's edited by Colby Crow. Select music in this episode, including this final track, was made by North Innsbruck. Links are in the description. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. Video versions on YouTube, Facebook, audio versions wherever you listen to podcasts. Next week is the archive show. It's one we've pre-recorded, and uh, it's really great. See you next week. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs>